This is Pastor Clint Ribble, and you're listening to the Grace Point Church Podcast. For more information, please visit gracepoint.net. As a part of the Christian church, we find ourselves right now in the season called Epiphany. Um, Epiphany is that season, well, it's not a season for some. For a long time, Epiphany was simply a day, and that's January the 6th. Some of the Eastern Orthodox, because they have the Gregorian, forget all that. I talk about stuff that doesn't matter to anybody except preachers. January the 6th is the normal day of Epiphany. Well, it comes on the heels of, hey, at least I caught myself. Discretion's the better part of valor, you know? It comes on the heels of what we call the 12 days of Christmas. Christmas tide. Beginning December 25th, we have the 12 days of Christmas, and we continue to bask in the glory of what we call the Incarnation, Emmanuel, God with us. And that culminates in January 6th, Epiphany. In the Western Church, especially the Anglican uh, Episcopal Church, there was a sense that Epiphany is too big of a concept just to leave off with after one day. And so they move into a season called Epiphany Tide, where we uh, just continue working and Uh, you know, really fleshing out this idea of what epiphany means. So we're in the season of epiphany. We're interdenominational. We don't have to be too strict about all of this. We can just kind of get the gist of it and the good of it. The word epiphany, and and stick with all this stuff because it's important stuff. The word epiphany derives from the Greek word, the word that's used in the New Testament uh, quite often, epiphania. And I, it's epiphania, but I, I never can get the emphasis right. So it's epiphania to me. And epiphania, suffice it to say, means appearance. Epiphania, that Greek noun, means an appearing. Um, it means a manifestation. And that's important stuff. Epiphania, the idea of epiphany is the idea of appearance or manifestation. An example of Epiphania from one of the pastoral epistles, 2 Timothy 1, 8 through 10. Look at it with me, and, and I'll show you um, the gist of the word Epiphania and the gist of this religious season we call Epiphany. The writer says, Don't be ashamed then of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in his suffering or in suffering for the gospel, relying on the power of God. Now, look at this. Relying on the power of God who saved us. And I promise you, if you'll stick with me and keep your brain in check, it's going to be worth it. Join with me in the suffering, relying on the power of God who saved us. Look at this. He saved us and called us with a holy calling. And it had nothing to do with our works. But his saving of us and his calling of us was according to his own purpose and grace. Now, let me say something about that grace that saved us. This grace, this salvation, this calling was given to us in Christ Jesus before we were born. This grace was given to us in Christ Jesus, not just before we were born, before the ages began. But while the grace was given to you before you had anything to do with it, before you were born and before the ages began, 
I heard an old man say one time, he was in the airport, and a fellow came up to him, witnessing to him, you know, airport evangelism, passing out tracts, and the guy uh, said, I looked back at the young gentleman, I said, well, thank you, but I'm already a Christian. Well, the young man wasn't quite satisfied, or maybe he was just trying to create conversation out of the discomfort, and he said, well, how long have you been a Christian? And the guy said, oh, I think about 2,000 years. Well, theologically, the point he's getting to is this is bigger than me and it precedes me. And he could have said, not just 2,000 years, before the ages began. But what's happened now? You say, well, what is what we call salvation now? What, what's that? What's this experience? Well, now, this is the idea of epiphany. But it, that salvation, that calling, that grace that happened way back there, we didn't have anything to do with it. But it was based on who we are because we're a part of God's plan. We're his children. Long before we had our kids, well, not in every case, but before a lot of us had our kids, we thought about it. We planned it. We looked ahead. But it's now. Now, now this grace, what's happened, it has been revealed. That's the idea of epiphany. It has been unveiled. It has appeared. It has been revealed through, here's Epiphaniah, through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus. Through the epiphany of Christ Jesus, what has been true since before the world began has now been revealed to us. It didn't happen, we just now understand it. Through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, watch this, more of this idea of epiphany, who abolished death and you know what he did? He brought life and immortality not to us. He brought life and immortality to light. That's the now. Now, he brought life and immortality to us before the ages began. When the glimmer was hidden, his eye, and he saw ahead and saw you, his children. He brought life and immortality and abolished death way back then. But now, you want to know what happened now? He has brought life and immortality to light. When you bring something, well, let's say it this way. When you turn the light on, does it create the thing that wasn't seen? What's it do? When you turn the light on, it reveals the thing that was already there. So what Christ has done now is he has brought to light what has always been. And that is the idea of epiphany. Now, the verb cognate of epiphany uh, epiphino, and there's a lot of other cognates, but epiphino means, in keeping, to appear, to manifest, to be revealed, to illumine. A couple of examples, also interestingly from the pastoral epistles, these from Titus. I'll look at one in Titus 2 and another in Titus 3. Now stick with me, it's important stuff. Titus 2, you want the idea of epiphany, here it is. For the grace of God has appeared. That's epiphino. That's epiphany. The grace of God has not started. The grace of God didn't just get created. Clyde, God didn't just come up with this notion all of a sudden. No, no, no. But I tell you what's happened for us now in Christ Jesus. The grace of God has epiphino, epiphany. It has appeared bringing salvation to all training us to renounce impiety and worldly passions 
and in the present age to live lives that are self-controlled, upright, and godly. In other words, we live decent, good, moral lives not to become children of God, but because we found out we are children of God. Well, we need to live within the dignity of that. While we are waiting, here's Epiphany, while we're waiting for the blessed hope and the manifestation, that's Epiphany, of the glory, we're not waiting for God to become glorious, but we're waiting for the ultimate manifestation of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Look at Titus 3 now, quickly, a few verses there. Look what happened in Jesus. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, say it with me, when it appeared, not when it started, not when it was created, not when it was born, because when was God good, when was God loving, when was God merciful, when was God caring, before the ages began? When was he all of those things towards you? Before the ages began. But what happened now is the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior. It has epiphano, epiphany, it has appeared. And when it, when it appeared, he saved us. Well, of course he did. He saved us from fear. He saved us from confusion. He saved us from despair. He saved us from not knowing who we were. He saved us, as John Donahue O'Donohue says, another Irishman, philosopher, and poet, spirituality is the art of homecoming. Ooh, I like that. True spirituality, Christian spirituality is the art of homecoming. It's coming home to who you already are. But when the loving, the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of any works of righteousness that we had done, but according to his mercy, through the water of rebirth, Joe used that word in his song, through the water of rebirth and the renewal by the Holy Spirit, the Spirit he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Now, that word epiphany or epiphino or epiphania, it was used by the father of John the Baptist. You want to go back now to the Christmas story, back to the nativity story, back to Luke 1, the Bible says that God tapped a couple named Zechariah and Elizabeth on the shoulder, an old man and an old woman, and said, you're going to have a baby, and it's going to be the forerunner of the Messiah. It was a miraculous birth. And the Bible teaches us that Elizabeth and Zechariah were kinfolk of Joseph and Mary, and when Elizabeth found out that she was miraculously pregnant, her cousin Mary came to visit her. And the story goes that when Mary got there and Elizabeth and her began to confer about the miraculous happenings in their life, that inside of Elizabeth's womb, John the Baptist literally sensed the presence of the Messiah. Mary was a few months back in her gestation and John the Baptist leaped in her womb. And out of that experience, Mary goes into what we know as the Magnificat, that beautiful soliloquy that we read there in Luke, the first chapter. After the Magnificat, Elizabeth and Mary part ways. Mary goes back to Nazareth to continue her pregnancy, not knowing fully what was going to happen. Um, and the Bible says that 
as she left, Elizabeth very soon had her baby, John the Baptist, and she and her husband, Zechariah, who was mute at this time. You remember that part of the story? He was mute. The angel had spoken to him and said, you're going to have this baby. It's an important baby. You're going to call him John. There was some argument between Zechariah and the angel, and, the, and don't argue with an angel. They'll just make you moot. He said, well, I'm just going to turn you off. <laughs> kind of like I was listening to the sports caster, this, or the sports radio guy this morning, and some guy began to rail on him, called him an idiot, and he says, well, you're the idiot, Boom, and turned him off. Well, that's what an angel will do to you if you argue, and just turn you off. So the angel just shut him up, and he went mute. And after the baby was born, Elizabeth and Zechariah went up to the temple to have him circumcised, form, their form of dedication. And when they got there, all of Elizabeth's family, sensing something special, they said, what are you going to name this baby? And she said, I'm going to name him John. And they were incredulous. They thought, you know, you guys have been waiting on this baby a long time. Surely Zechariah is going to name him Zechariah Jr. And she said, no, we're going to name him John. And the people looked to Zechariah, and he couldn't talk, and he motioned for something to write on. They gave him a little tablet, and he wrote, name him John. And as soon as he said, name him John, to the people's uh, disbelief, as soon as he wrote, name him John, he began to speak, and he said, I want to name him John. And immediately, he began to prophesy, Zechariah did, over the life of this little eight-day-old son. And he began to proclaim what John was going to be uh, to Israel and also the whole world. And this is just a little piece of that prophecy down toward the end. Luke 1, 76 through 79, holding his eight-day-old baby. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. Now watch this. To give knowledge of salvation to his people. You're not going to give salvation to his people. You're going to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the forgiveness of their sins. That's epiphany. Salvation is what God does for you. Knowledge of salvation is an incredible, an incredible blessing. Some people within the Johannan community, 1 John says, lived under such legalism and guilt. They were children of God, but they did not feel like they were children of God and John spoke to that, and he said, even if your heart condemns you, emotions, fickle feelings, even if your heart condemns you, listen to this. For those of you that come from puritanical, legalistic backgrounds, and you still struggle with the security of your relationship with God, John said, even if your heart condemns you, God's greater than your heart, and he knows everything. You're a child of God, whether you know it or not, whether you feel it or not. But it is a rich blessing to not only be a child of God, it's also a rich blessing to be able to appropriate that. You ever been with someone that you didn't think loved you? You ever had a parent, a brother, a sister, a spouse, a friend that you feel like didn't love you, only to find out later that they did? You lived in a reality that you couldn't appropriate. You found out through therapy and work, and it's not always the case, but you found out through therapy and work it was your own paralysis and inability to feel, not theirs to give. The problem wasn't how much they poured into the cup. The problem was the holes in your cup that were always incapable of keeping that. He is going to come and he is going to give you not salvation, but he's going to give you a knowledge of salvation. And he's going to bring the knowledge of the forgiveness of your sins. That's what Joseph did when after he had forgiven his brothers for the dastardly things they had done to him, years later, when their old daddy died, the brothers thought that Joseph was now going to get them. 
And the Bible says they came to Joseph and they began again to make, 10, 15 years later, begin to make things right and say, I know now that dad is dead, you're going to get us. And the Bible says Joseph looked at them and wept as he realized that he had forgiven them years before, but they had never lived in the full psychological benefit of that forgiveness. And the Bible said he wept. Their problem wasn't they weren't forgiven. Their problem was they couldn't appropriate it psychologically and feel that. Zechariah held that baby and said, you're going to bring a knowledge of salvation to people. You're going to bring a knowledge of the forgiveness of their sins, stuff that happened way back before the ages began. Stan Jr. looked at me one time and said, how could you forgive me, Dad? I said, I did it before you were ever born. I did it before I ever held you in my hands. I didn't have to forgive you today. My biggest work is to allow you to feel the healing virtue of forgiveness that I gave you before you even were conceived, when you were only in my heart, before the ages began. That's what parents do, and you are not a better parent than God. By the tender mercy of our God, the dawn from on high will break. That is classical Greek for epiphany. If you go back in classical Greek, which this is born of, they use the word epiphania all the time for the breaking of the sun above the horizon. The sun comes up over the horizon. They said the sun was epiphanes. It was appearing to them. Now, was the sun there before it appeared? Absolutely. But the epiphany is not about the reality of the sun. The epiphany is about your experience of the sun. The epiphany is not whether or not the sun exists. The epiphany is about whether or not you can see it and experience it. So this is from classical Greek. They, they understood that. The epiphany is going to be the tender mercy of God. When, when, when Jesus comes, when John comes declaring the kingdom, the tender mercy of God is going to come up above the horizon and we're going to see it. But I want you to know, long before you saw it on the horizon, embedded deep within the brokenness and fallenness of man, down buried beneath the horizon, that tender mercy was there, but it was the dark night of your own inability to receive it. That was the darkness. But the tender mercy of our God is not going to be created. It's going to finally break it's going to finally dawn on us that's where the phrase comes from it dawns on you when you say oh it finally dawned on me you know what you're saying i finally came to grip with what was already true to give light to those who sit in darkness this was a group of people sitting in a room full of the tender mercy of god sitting in a room full of the love of God, the grace of God, the care of God. They were sitting in a room, but it was a dark room, and they could not appropriate or see those things. And John the Baptist came not to bring those things into the room. He came to simply turn the light switch on. And when they turned the light switch on, they saw what had always been there. To give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And that outer peace would be preceded by an inner peace. Let the peace of God that passes all understanding rule in your heart. Operative word there, let. It's on you. That's the stuff of epiphany. Now, the gist of the word epiphany is that something, hang with me, 
something that already is a reality is finally made clear. The gist of epiphany is something that is already true finally dawns on you. God's presence, God's love, God's grace, God's mercy that has been with us unrecognized, epiphany is the matter of it finally being recognized. Zechariah said John's preaching and introduction of Jesus, the Messiah, would give light to those who sit in darkness. Paul said God's grace, listen, God's grace was given to us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, but it has now been revealed through the appearing, the epiphany of our Savior Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. The gospel, the good news, was bringing to light that which already was, that before the ages began, you were forgiven, chosen, and called. You were wrapped up in a grace that you could not see, and when Jesus came, he simply brought it to light. Now let me, here we go. If, if Advent, Christmas, and Christmastide, if we have just come through a season that is a celebration of Emmanuel, God with us, listen. If Advent, Christmas, and Christmastide are celebrations of Emmanuel, which means God with us, Epiphany is the celebration of God seen by us. If Advent, Christmas, and Christmastide are God with us, Epiphany is simply our recognition of that reality. And you see that clearly in Epiphany's three chief texts or stories. I want to run through them really quickly here, and it's the base of what we're going to talk about next week, and it's important. The three stories of Epiphany are the story of the Magi who came from the east, the story of Jesus' baptism, and the story of Jesus turning water into wine at Cana of Galilee. Really quickly now. In the story of the Magi, these eastern priests from another religion and another world, in the story of the Magi or the eastern wise men, the Bible says they see and declare Jesus to be the king of the Jews. Operative word there is they see him to be the king of the Jews. I'm not going to read... Uh, the 12 verses of their story in Matthew 2, but I want to read one verse, Matthew 2, verse 11. Look at it. On entering the house, they'd come a long way. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. Now, I want to stop there. That is the story of Emmanuel. When the baby's in her womb, when the baby's in the manger, and now nine months later when the baby's in the house, that is Emmanuel, which means God with us. All you Orthodox people that believe that Jesus was God coming to the world in human flesh, that's God with us. But what I want to tell you is God was with a lot of folk in the first nine months. There were a lot of people in those first six to nine months of Jesus' life that upon entering the house, they saw the child and they said cute baby, right? To see Jesus and say, cute baby, is Emmanuel. God's with us. 
Tell me, was God with them? But I want to explain to you epiphany. The difference between presence and illumination. The difference between incarnation and illumination. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they didn't say cute baby. They moved from Emmanuel to epiphany. They saw him, and instead of saying adorable, and there's a big difference between saying cute baby and falling down on your knees. It's the same difference as Jesus getting up out of the grave and he comes to Mary who's brokenhearted and the Bible says she thought he was a gardener. Tell me, was that Emmanuel? Jesus is out of the grave. He's with Mary. She's brokenhearted. That's Emmanuel, isn't it? God was with her, right? She thought he was a gardener and she said to him, what have you done with my Lord? That's Emmanuel. He says to her, Mary, something about the tenor of his voice, epiphany, she falls down, wraps her arm around him and says, Rabboni, and peace like a river floods her. See the difference between Emmanuel and epiphany? This is God with us, but you may not be appropriating the benefits psychologically, emotionally, spiritually. God's with you, but epiphany is God seen by you. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down. That's Epiphany, and they paid him homage. Then they opened their treasure chest. Epiphany is when you open the treasure chest of your heart and your mind and your life. That doesn't come with Emmanuel God with. There are a lot of people not opening the treasure chest of their life to this baby. There were priests and preachers all around this baby that didn't even come to visit him. But epiphany is when you open up the treasure chest of your soul and they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Follow me. The baptism of Jesus. Second one, quickly. In the baptism of Jesus, the people heard the voice of God declare Jesus to be heaven's beloved son, and they saw the spirit descend like a dove and remain on him. John the Baptist reported it this way. This is fascinating, and this is the stuff of epiphany. That's why the church was wise to pick this text. Look uh, in chapter 1, verse 24. That's not chapter 1. That's, um, yeah, that's John 1. Now, they had been sent from the Pharisees. So the Pharisees sent some people out to spy on John the Baptist, see what was going on. John the Baptist, that boy blessed by Elizabeth and Zechariah. And they asked him, why then are you baptizing if you are neither the Messiah, Elijah, nor the prophet? They had their own end times theologies and eschatology, and they had all these figures that were major players. They had the big chart that they put up on the wall with the seven-headed dragon. They, like us, what many of us grew up in, had an idea of how the kingdom was going to come. John the Baptist was outside of their eschatology or end times thinking. And they said, if you're neither Messiah, Elijah, or the prophet, why are you doing this stuff? John answered and said, I baptize with water. Now watch this. Among you stands one whom you do not know. I want to tell you what that is. That's Emmanuel. Among you is God. Among you stands the Messiah. Now anybody who took him remotely seriously, when he said, you're looking for this major figure, he stands among you. Anybody who took him seriously, at that moment had a sense of 
And they began scanning the crowd, looking for the one that they thought, like Saul, was head and shoulders above everybody else and was surely the guy. That's Emmanuel. You want me to tell you why it's not Epiphany? Look at the next line. And you don't know. You don't see. The one who is coming after me, he's here, but I'm not worthy to untie the thong of his sandal. Watch this. This took place in Bethany. That's where Mary, Martha, and Lazarus lived, and Jesus was there all the time, even before his death. This took place in Bethany, down by Jerusalem, five or six miles away, across the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day, he's down there in that crowd. He's already said, you guys don't know that he's here. Now, you could, you could assume by the previous statement that John was saying, he's here among us, but you don't know him, but I have insider information and I know him. Well, of course I do. He's my cousin. We've grown up together. We've been plotting this. You all grew up playing synagogue. We grew up playing the kingdom of God. When we were little bitty boys, I was coronating him Messiah. I know where he is. John says, he's here among us. You don't know him yet. And John looks over at Jesus and through the crowd, he winks at him. Not true. Not true. The next day, he saw Jesus coming forward toward him. And he said, cousin. Folks, John the Baptist looked and saw Jesus coming towards him. He saw, in the, at the first, he saw who coming towards him? His cousin he had lived 30 years with. And he looks at Jesus coming toward him. This is epiphany, and I can't make this happen for you, and you can't make this happen for me. Wish I could. I, I can't give this to my children. You can't take it for someone. Gary S. Paxton wrote years ago, the world didn't give it to me, the world can't take it away. And that's the truth. I don't know how it happens or when it happens. I wish I had the formula and could sprinkle it over you like dust. But he looked and saw his cousin. And he had been living in Emmanuel for 30 years with him. But not Epiphany. And when he saw his cousin... Can you imagine one of your cousins? Think about it. We just all went to Christmas dinner. Think about your cousins. <laughs> there, a lot of them watch, so I'm not going to name names. I think all of you are potential messiahs, frankly. But he looks and something, this is epiphany. And he says... Here's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, to show you he didn't have insider information, this is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks ahead of me because he was before me. Before me, John was born before Jesus. No, this is the one who was pouring out grace before the ages began. I knew him for the last 30 years as a good carpenter who built an addition on the back of our house and repaired our furniture. But something stirred inside of him, and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who was before me. I may be three months older than him, but he's an eternity before me. This, I myself, oh, I'm glad he said this, I myself didn't know him. I looked out and saw my cousin coming. I myself didn't know him, 
but I came baptizing with water for this reason, that he might be, you want epiphany? That he might be revealed to Israel. He's always been here. Paul looked back and said, you know who that rock was that water was coming out of in the desert? It was Christ. He's always been here. You know, when we were scared to death and projecting onto God our own heinous retribution and hatred and filling the pages of the Old Testament with it, you know what he was doing? He was here whispering through our death and bitterness, fear not, fear not. When we were scared to death, we had no reason to be. Emmanuel, fear not, was with us, but we didn't see. I myself didn't know him, but I came for this reason. And John testified, I saw. That's epiphany. Emmanuel is God with me. Epiphany is I see God. I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself, to make it clear, I myself did not know him. But the one who sent me to baptize with water said to me, that's epiphany. And I don't know when that voice will come for you, and I cannot manufacture that voice. I don't know, Joe Byrne, how to manufacture thin places for people. I cannot create your thin place. I cannot create that space, Bo Cooper, where the two worlds collide. Frederick Beekner said, I sat there as a 26-year-old young man. I was only in the church that morning because I was bored, and I liked the architecture of that old downtown Presbyterian church. And as that old preacher, George Brettrick, preached with his old head bobbing up and down through his sandy voice as he preached about the coronation of Jesus in the heart of a believer, comparing it to the coronation of the then queen, Queen Mary in England, he said, as I sat there observing the architecture of that place, he said, the gospel came to me and tears for reasons unknown to me leapt from my eyes as though I had been slapped across the face. And for reasons that I cannot explain, Atlantis rose up out of the sea, the great wall of China fell, and a heart was transformed. How do you manufacture that? When does the voice come? But the voice said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. I've been playing G.I. Joe, mowing yards, and building furniture with this guy for 30 years. Why the voice came now. And I myself, here's the stuff of epiphany, and I myself have seen, stay with me, that the one who was with me, I myself have seen and have testified this is the Son of God. For 30 years, he's been my daddy and mama's nephew, and he's been Uncle Joseph and Aunt Mary's son. And oh my God, <laughs> this is the Son of God. How, Dwayne? When? I'm so past trying to manufacture other people's spiritual experience. I am simply one who is called by God to walk into rooms and try to turn lights on. And it's left to you. You and the Lord to work out your own timing. That's why when my friends don't get it, I don't look at them and think, oh, the time crunches on. I got to get them to sign on the dotted line. No, they're walking with God. I can't, I can't mess with that timing. 
The next day, John again was standing with two of his disciples. Let's leave off with that one and go to the last one here. There's plenty of stuff of epiphany in that. But finally, and I'll close with this, the story of Jesus' first miracle, the water into wine at the wedding feast at Cana of Galilee. Stick with me. Give me five minutes here. This is another big text in the season of Epiphany, and you'll see why. They're in Cana of Galilee. They've just had a wedding, and a terrible thing has happened. They have run out of wine. You put that together any way you want to put that together. You also can just deal with the fact that Jesus expended his first miracle to make a party better. Do with that whatever you want to do with that. But for me, that says something about God. This is not a message on drinking. I joke about this stuff. But it's not, a, listen, sobriety, drunkenness, abuse of chemicals, food, whatever your addiction, that's serious stuff, and it's not a joking matter. I also know that the fear of that kind of thing can lead to an opposite and equal mistake of heightened legalism and puritanism. H.L. Mencken, the wise man, H.L. Mencken said, puritanism is the haunting fear that somebody somewhere is having a good time. <laughs> and I want you to know, God loves human happiness and if parties are done right and human happiness is done right, God relishes that and will even expend miracles to keep that going. Okay? Mary says, this is an awful fix. She said, tell you what, my boy's special. Go to him. He'll take care of it. Do whatever he tells you to do. I don't know what she thought. I don't know if she thought he was going to run back to the house and get a couple of bottles or if he was going to pull out a credit card and say, go down here to the corner market. I don't know what she thought. But they get to Jesus, and Jesus says to them, fill the jars with water. They fill them up to the brim. He said to them, now draw some out and take it to the chief steward. So they took it. When the steward is over the party, he's, over the, he's the caterer guy, when the steward tasted the water that it had become wine, he didn't know where it came from. The servants who had drawn the water, they knew, but the steward didn't. The steward calls the bridegroom over. And he says, come here. This is incredible. And he says to the kid, you've done the party wrong. Everyone serves the good wine first. Now you tell me, why do you serve the good wine first? Everyone serves the good wine first and then the inferior wine after the guests have become drunk. That is not an affirmation of drunkenness being appropriate. It is an affirmation that the Bible is a very human book and God's not shocked by these things. But you have kept the good wine until now. Jesus did this, the first of his signs, in Cana of Galilee, and he didn't create the glory of God. That's Emmanuel, God with us. But he revealed it, and that's the stuff of Epiphany. So all of this begs the question, 
and the issue that we will take up next week, and that is how do we transform Christmas, God with us, into epiphany and my felt experience that God is with me. And that's a big deal. That's a big deal. How do we move in our own heart from wrestling to believe that God is with me to saying with the Johannan community in retrospect, we touched him, saw him, held him, and hold him still. How do we go from God with us, and lady, that's a cute baby, to seeing that baby How do you go from a young man drawn by the flying buttresses of the architecture of Madison Avenue Presbyterian Church to being arrested and slapped across the face, face, yeah, across the face, until tears jump from your eyes? Oh, the wind bloweth where it listeth, and you hear the sound thereof, but canst not tell from whence it cometh or whither it goeth. So is everyone who's born of the Spirit. How does he move from being cousin I don't know I sent an email to you this week Karen you don't mind and I told you I told you that we were going to do this today I said some nice things. I took some time here and typed it out with my thumbs on my phone. And I said, we focused last week on the distinction between God's presence, Emmanuel, and God's appearance or manifestation, epiphany. Tomorrow, we're going to tease this out further, and hopefully, I'll be able to help us all have better eyes that we might recognize more comfortingly. Emmanuel the nearness of God. It is my sense and many before me that God shows up, appears, if you will, in many forms if we but have eyes to see. So let's start 2015 off well, caring for our souls by gathering tomorrow with hearts and eyes open, open to see as God has created us too, for we were all born with eyes for God. So I send it out, trying to stir you up and remind you that church is tomorrow. And a young lady writes back, I hadn't seen her in a while. Sometime in a church of 1,500 people, if you don't see someone for a while, you don't even realize you hadn't seen them for a while. It's the danger of a big church. I didn't know if they were going, Dennis and Karen were going somewhere else or So when I see her address, I think, oh, okay. When I saw her address at first, I thought, oh, shoot, somebody's saying, take me off the email list. You sure? Make promise? No. And she says to me, here, here we go, living between Christmas and Epiphany, she says, I most definitely need to be there tomorrow. 
And I thought to myself, oh, I'm so glad they're still coming. I will make every effort. Pray this brain injury will give me a break. I don't remember God. I text back immediately because that's an important email. I email back one minute later, 7.30 last night, I will pray for you. And I promise you, I promise you, that's, that's my job. I promise you, God remembers you. And I send it with fear and trembling because you know how cheap words are to people whose hearts are breaking. Do you know how many times I've sent something like that and got back, words are cheap. But I sent it out praying over it and saying, oh Lord, may this be the word of the Lord to her. And I wait. And she send back, sends back to this insecure preacher waiting because I know my ways are insufficient. And the first line relieves me. She knew my heart. And she said, thank you, Stan. Means a lot to me. Feeling pretty lonely without him. And I want to scream. It's all about feeling. But this is paralysis, not reality. Pain can so paralyze you that you can't feel the reality. And even when his hands are on you, you can't feel him. That's not the reality of his presence or absence. That's the reality of paralysis. Has anybody been there? Lonely without him. Three months into this brain injury, I finally got to drive, put my iPhone music on, and Michael W. Smith came on, all I used to listen to, him and casting crowns. I got the sense that it wasn't doing it for her now. It was the first time I had even thought of my father, and he was my best friend. Used to talk to him all the time. I can't find him, and it's so hard to pray but I will be there. I live my life vocationally, and I love it. Most of you do not call me in the good times. I only spend my life with 90% of you in the crisis and the pain. And I can tell you that most of my work, for years, I tried to figure out a magic wand or a magic incantation to fix your bankruptcies and miscarriages and divorces and premature deaths. I, I wanted to be that man of God who could come onto the scene and create epiphanies and fixes and cures. I have finally settled into the midwifery, the respectable vocation of coming into your life, Antonio, and simply saying, Karen, 
Garvey. He is with you. And you cannot feel it now. You may not even believe it now. But let me carry you. Let the body of Christ carry you. Know that on 7.30 Saturday night, when you're a pastor, when you think, people say, how'd you have time to write me back? Know that's because you are so on God's mind that you're all I could think about for the last 12 hours. And when I was writing this sermon this morning, I was writing it just for you. And if nobody else would have showed up, and even now, I want to make that an epiphany for you, but I can't. But I want you to know, your peace may depend on epiphany. Your safety depends upon Emmanuel, and he is with you, and he is all over you, and he's holding you, and it's going to be okay. And that's the truth. I know it's the truth. It's the truth. You know what? I promise you, there's a shepherd who looks around and says, 90 and 9 are here, but I got one that's hurting. I'm going to go out over the rocky steep and look for her until I find her. That, brothers and sisters, right there, I'll pick up with it next week. That's the difference between Emmanuel and a cute baby and epiphany, and oh my God. That's the difference between critiquing Melissa's choice of songs and worshiping God, whether it's a hymn or a praise song. That's, that's the difference. That's the difference. We'll talk about it more next week. Everybody thank Karen for helping us with the sermon today. And that's the difference. Now, do traumatic brain injuries cause you not to be able to turn it off? Because you must be like me, because I cannot turn this off. This is just too good. It's like gristle. The more you chew on it, the better it gets. Come back next week. We're going to pick up with the difference between Christmas and Epiphany. God bless you. Go in God's name.